Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Gottesdienst crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have back with us Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. We are looking at the Gospel reading for the sixth Sunday after Trinity. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 to 26, and I will read that in the English Standard. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a yoda, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. All right, uh, context, obviously part of the Sermon on the Mount. What right, is, so what given am, to the multitudes. Yeah. Is there any connection to the these first statements about not c- coming to abolish the law and the prophets and everything that follows afterward? Is he is in other words is Jesus saying, "Look, you're going to hear what I'm saying as though I'm trying to overthrow the law and the prophets, but that's not what's happening." I am Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that's why that context is nice. Um it's not in the uh, Lutheran field test, whatever, I'm sorry, the Lutheran Missile Project. They, the, the traditional place it started was at verse 20, which, you know, starts with the conjunction four, for assuredly I say to you. So mm-hmm. really verses 17, 15, and uh, give, give the context, right, that this righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees, um, I'm sorry, 17 and 18 and 19, where am I? I'm so confused. That's right. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, that gives the context, right, of the kind of righteousness that's needed. And I think you're exactly right that the gospel of Jesus Christ is always prone to being corrupted by sinful men into some sort of hedonistic license or antinomianism. Yeah. So I like the context here. I don't like starting readings with a conjunction, you know, like that. Because, I mean, therefore, what? what? <laughs> you have to know what comes first, right? Right. But, but I mean, it's easy it enough sense. to provide that. It is. It is. But, but you know, this since is the not Bible that already much. provides it. <laughs> well, it depends on how much precedes it. How much of the therefore. Well, I kind of want to extend, and I'm thinking about doing this. I've never done this. I was thinking about extending it to the next paragraph as well. Um, I did look up, thanks to the Lutheran Missile Project, these next verses in the sermon, which make sure I'm in the right place now, verses 27 to 30, that's mm-hmm. the whole thing about um, adultery. Lust. So it's yeah. it's connected, right? You've heard it said of old, you shall not murder. You've heard it said of old, you shall not commit adultery. And then that that really gives you the chance to talk about pornography, because whoever looks at a woman mm-hmm. is guilty of breaking this commandment. And that's such a pervasive yeah. Well, then why the stop epidemic. with 30? Why not I know. go to another <laughs> epidemic of our culture, which well, is 31 and 32, divorce? Well, well, maybe go all the way to, yeah, you could go there. That's another thing. But I mean, this is really, 
I'd say 17 through 32. Well, even even 33, though. I mean, so I think I you'd know. really You're have right. to go to 42. <laughs> well, because, oh, no, you'd I have know. to go to 48 going, because, you know, really love your going, enemies yeah. is always taken <laughs> out of context. I mean, really, you, I know. it seems as though you, what would be really nice is if you could, when these things come up, uh, if you could force people to come every day to church and you just work through these. There you go. Well, that so that the next section that uh, twenty seven through thirty, the Lutheran Missile Project does have on Wednesday of Trinity three. Mm. So if you are using the Wednesday and Friday propers, which is what they keep telling us over and over again that we should all be doing, if you are doing that, you are going to get so much more of the Bible. It's it ends up being it's like I can't remember the I don't remember what the statistic was, but I want to say twice as much Bible as you get in the three-year lectionary in one year, if you mm. just add the Wednesdays and Fridays, because the, the three-year does repeat stuff. And, and um, so anyway, yeah, I know it has that. I, I was, I should have let, I should have read further because you keep having that repetition. If you've heard that it was said all the yeah. way through 43, you shall love your So, all right, maybe I won't do it, but maybe I will. I don't know. It's so. Well, I mean, you could, you could. I mean, it could just basically a free text. Yeah, I mean, you could build on the and you heard it was said. And what else does he say yeah. about that? Well, I just fe- without I just have it. this sense. Yes. Yeah, you could do that. But I wanted to really kind of talk about pornography. I've talked a lot about pornography. We've done a lot of work on that here, but never really in a sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, I was disappointed. I just I looked ahead and uh, Gibbs and his commentary. I was kind of su- amazed he didn't address it. He doesn't even bring it up. Really? He just says, you know, yeah, he doesn't. I mean, he he talks about lost a little bit, you know. But um, I'm not I'm not saying he says anything wrong in there. But just and maybe it's you know I don't know how old that comment. Maybe it's ten years old that mm-hmm. commentary at this point. It could be. And when he wrote it, it really may not yeah. have been as big of an issue as it is now, or he may not have been yeah. aware of it. Either I mean, so, are you going to bring in soap operas and the, I don't the female know. side I of don't that? Know if I probably not. I'm actually now that I'm thinking about it out loud, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to because maybe the reason I've never talked about this in a sermon is I don't want to bring too much attention. It's it's a difficult thing. We need to talk about it a lot because it's it's destroying everything, um, and yet I don't know if it's really appropriate completely for the pulpit. Because if we're going to talk about pornography, then we probably have to talk about masturbation, and we probably have to talk about all sorts of things that go along with that. And then also yeah. want to give kind of practical things for resisting it and fighting it, which has to also do with the proper use of the marriage bed. Yeah. And I don't know if I really want to have all that in the sermon. So I, I'm, you've, I wish I wouldn't have even said any of it now. Uh, first of all, I wasn't even looking far enough ahead. <laughs> And then secondly, I'm not sure I really want to do it. Well, we're going to have to come to terms with how to be able to do it in a, um, in a proper manner, at least to put forward the teaching. And maybe yes. here's something like looking to Chrysostom and all of his sermons on marriage and mm-hmm. you know, without getting too graphic. And I think that's the problem in our day, it's very easy to get graphic. And even if you aren't too graphic, we have this strange, um, uh, I'm going to use this in a negative sense, and I don't mean it in every way, but a kind of a, a puritanical uh, view of sex, at least publicly, but then not in private. <laughs> right. um, and, and so how to do that in a proper way where you you speak correctly without being, again, too graphic. I, that's a difficult thing to do and not something that we have necessarily been trained to do. Everything in our culture trains Christians to be, you know, oatmeal. That's true. At the same time, I just don't know if it's even possible to address something that is so graphic without being graphic. Yeah. And maybe it just is the sort of thing that needs to be done you know, behind mm-hmm. closed doors or, you know, in, in segregated groups. I don't address these things much with the men and the women together. I address them. Separately. I address the women and the men separately, even though I actually say the same things to them. Mm-hmm. So, 
Well, you make a good point. And I'm always concerned that I'm going to give ideas to young people that they don't need to have. I don't think that's a risk, actually. I don't talk that graphically, uh, not even close. I just tell them that, that that they have been corrupted by pornography. And so things that they think are fine or normal are not. And that nothing is allowed in the marriage bed that is painful or degrading. Mm-hmm. And I just leave it there. And we don't we don't need to talk about what possibly might be painful or degrading. So they they you're not going to put things they are filled with things in their heads. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. They really are. It's it's just it's just outrageous. So I mean, I would you have to be careful. We don't want to engage in it, but at the same time, I don't think that's too big of a risk, but I just don't want to do that as the public confession of the church. I mean, there could be young children there that haven't thought of these things or yeah. haven't been exposed to them. And okay. older people, frankly, I don't think, I mean, though, there are older people that are struggling with this. That's, I mean, in nursing homes, um, at, but I don't think it's as widespread. There are people that are innocent of much of this. Mm-hmm. So they should be honored and respected and not dragged into it. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, back to the text, the actual text, not just the one I felt like I might decide to preach on. Mm-hmm. So um, anger. <clears throat> so there's three parts, I'd say. You got that first statement in in verse 20 coming out of the, um, I'm not here to destroy the law and the prophets. And that is that your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Then we have the kind of murder, anger, ethical description, and also the uh, warning really there against spiritual sins or secret sins, I mean. And then finally, you have this uh, idea that we have to humble ourselves and take a hit for the sake of peace with the brothers. So that's the kind of structure I would say that we could break down. Um, In terms of the first part, you already got to some of it that I think it is a warning against abuse of the gospel and seeing it as a license to sin. But then it's also a preaching of the law in probably its sternest form in in many ways, right? How in the world are we going to be better than the scribes and the Pharisees? So it preaches the law in such a way that it actually makes it impossible to fulfill. That there was this attempt on the part of the Pharisees to preach the law in such a way that they could pretend they had fulfilled it. If we can keep the law as only an outward thing, I've never murdered anybody, therefore I've kept the fifth commandment. That's the kind of shallowest reading possible, but there were people then and still now that do that. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, of course, is going to interpret it in the next verse in such a broad way that no one could say, I've kept this. I've never become angry in my heart or called someone a fool, right? Mm-hmm. So there, there is this kind of, how are we going to get this righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees? Um, and it can't come from the law. Yeah. All right, so kind of parsing some of the th- these things out, I think perhaps it would be good to have some definitions how is our Lord using the word brother? And then in verse 23, when he says your brother has something against you, does that mean that they're angry at you? And so you know they're angry at you, and so you need to take the first step? Or that they have something against you because you know that you're angry at them? Uh, well, let's go backwards. I'd say on the, the brother that's, that has something against you, it could be either way. And I think actually that's part of the point is it doesn't really matter that we're, we are actually called upon to make peace at, at, the, at personal cost and to avoid court at almost any cost for the sake mm-hmm. of peace within the brotherhood. So whether we're right or not, the fact is we should be uncomfortable with this, with this breach between us and we should want to heal it and we should be willing to take a financial and a social hit for it. All right, right. So this is speaking about actually not taking someone to court, kind of like St. Paul and 1 Corinthians. Is it 1 Corinthians? Yeah, 1 yeah, Corinthians, I can't remember now, 7, I think, yeah. or 11. Anyway, right, uh, wherever it is there. I think, I mean, this is an allegory, in fairness. Uh, however, I think the principle does apply, that you do not want to be you do not want to be judged by non-Christians in this, and it's going to be worse for you if you allow it to go that 
far. And it's going to be worse for your brother who's suing you. So mm-hmm. we, we just need to stay out of the whole thing. But it is an allegory in fairness. I don't, I don't think he means, I think that's all accurate based on 1 Corinthians 11. But here he's really talking about the, um, the problem is, is that you're actually placing your faith into danger because mm-hmm. you're either insisting on your own righteousness and innocence because you believe it to be the case, or you're refusing to acknowledge the guilt that you have done because you don't think it should matter, right? Mm-hmm. And you're and you're risking the then also the soul of your brother. Mm-hmm. It's First Corinthians six. Oh, six. Yeah. Huh. Why well, way off? Why? Well, did you I, know anyway. the interesting thing here. I I just looked up First Corinthians and got to chapter six, and it's lawsuits against believers. The next thing he talks about is fleeing sexual immorality, <laughs> and then the principles yeah. for marriage. Huh. So it follows the exact order here of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I don't I don't know what to make of that, but I think that's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, the brother, I think in both cases, this is not a reference here to the ministry. I think this is just Christian brothers and sisters. I don't think... Um, but it's not people outside you know, of the Christian congregation. No, it's not people outside of the Christian congregation. Okay. I mean, we're not worried. I mean, in a sense, we're not worried about a person outside of the church losing his faith, right? This is right. about this is about the danger to faith. So, but in our day, <laughs> you know, this gets so muddied, right? Where you're never, you know. So we have these, you know. Our Lord later says to love your enemies, um, and so then this gets like smashed together as though we need to treat everyone like a brother. And right. I, I, don't, I don't think that's what our Lord is actually talking about, and that a love for an enemy looks different than a love for a brother. Oh, yeah. I mean, in Matthew 25, that's another place that gets always messed up with the uh, judgment of the sheep and the goats. What you have done for the least of these, my brethren, you have done it for me. And he is talking about what you are doing for his actual brothers, that is, believers. Mm-hmm. And that gets all the time, right? We have a medical clinic, a free medical clinic in Fort Wayne that's called, I can't remember what it's called, but it's something, the least of these, or it's its some reference to Matthew 25. I can't believe that it escaped me. But, you know, they're not, they don't believe it has anything to do with Christianity. It's just about being good to people in general, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, what the heck is the name of that place? You know, it I, might be called the Matthew 25 clinic, actually. <laughs> <laughs> It has been a long morning already. I'm sorry today. I, I, I think it you. is called the Matthew 25 Clinic. Golly. There's something else in town called the least of these or something. Anyway, uh, yeah, so the brothers has to be has to be I don't anyway, the I thought the argument you were suggesting was that in Matthew's gospel, this word brothers often means the actually the minister. The brothers right. of Jesus are the disciples, you know, so it's a like a technical term. Well, if it includes be. the the term with a greater extension, naming all Christians, it certainly includes the the more comprehensive, um, intensive term of the clergy. Oh, sure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the clergy are included. <laughs> yeah, but I just so, was, I just was really trying to talk about how we tend to say any person we know, so we we begin putting together our Lord's statements on loving your enemies and then the Good Samaritan and then all of these other texts, we just smash them all together and come up with, well, this means that you've got to be this way to everyone. Instead of right. Instead of really what our Lord is teaching us to do is to make distinctions and um and to treat those distinctions as real and and act in accordance with what those distinctions indicate. Yeah. I think in the next uh, section, by the way, he doesn't say, he doesn't say sister. If you look upon one of your sisters with lust, then you've already committed adultery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, of course, because the sin, the sin can be easily committed with, by looking at pagan women. Mm-hmm. But anyway, here, here it is. Here it is specific, right? We are to treat our brothers with love, and uh, and not become divided from them. Okay, I never thought about that before, but I think that is interesting. 
because he could have said, if he's just talking, if, if everybody was our brother and sister, then why not continue the language? Mm-hmm. Now, is is this exclusive just using men as the perpetrators of adultery because that's who he was talking to, mainly men? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, he says he's talking to the multitudes here. This is probably a mixed crowd. I don't, I don't think it's going to be just men. I think it's just generic. Yeah. Um, and I mean, historically, mo- men have been, you know, statistically worse at this. Some of that might just be kind of convenience. Um, I mean, in the sense that, you know, once a woman's pregnant, she's sort of out of the market in a sense. And, uh, you know, that lasts for quite a while when, when people cared about having children. Yeah. Right. So. I mean, but anymore, I think it's something like over 70%, maybe higher of divorces are begun by females. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, well, I mean, begun by, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're the, the guiltier yeah. party. Yeah. I do. I have seen some. No, we've I can't had remember. different experiences in our congregations about this. So, <laughs> <laughs> I well, yeah, you no, tilted I, the I one am, way, and me tilted to a completely different way. That's so. true. I have. I mean, I know you're right. There, it does happen for sure. Obviously, um, and I I do know that uh, pornography use by women is on the rise, also. Hmm. So we tend to think of that as being mainly a main a man problem, but it's it's not. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, men and women, of course, come at different, come at marriage with different um, expectations or desires for it too. Mm-hmm. So what women, I mean, speaking generally, right? What women, what makes them unhappy in a marriage is somewhat different than, a, than what a man is unhappy with in a marriage. So when, when women break the marriage off, I think it actually... I, I, so men are are largely worried about status and hierarchy and where mm-hmm. they fit into things. And so getting divorced lowers your status. So there's a certain kind of sense in which at a kind of biological level, men are less prone to wanting to get divorced, even if you know terrible things have happened. Whereas women are much more concerned about relationships and Mm-hmm. you know, connection and so forth. So when, when they tend to break the marriage, it's often, I think, I, I think they're thinking something closer often to what the biblical purpose of marriage is. Mm-hmm. How's that? Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, so this word come to terms with your accuser, yeah. it, it, is that the right translation? I mean, it's not wrong, but it seems like it, it is be well, like be well disposed, make friends. That seems yeah, stronger agree. than seems stronger than just come to terms. Well, I kind of like come to terms on that. But Do you? Yes, because I think it, I think actually he's calling for us to make sacrifices, and I think come to terms implies that you're going to make a sacrifice, that you're going to compromise, that you're not going to insist upon your rights. Mm. And that's that's the danger, it seems to me, that when we get into a situation where we're going to sue one another, we start to worry very much about our rights. And I mean, we're already kind of in the wrong place spiritually when we're insisting upon our rights. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, like back to the marriage thing, you see this in marriage all the time too. So I mean, marriages that are that are hurting and suffering. So it's like, well, I have the right to divorce you. Well, I mean, this isn't, we're, we're starting off in a bad place here where there's not much chance of reconciliation. Yeah. So even the sort of, you know, um, trying to find the loopholes wherein Christians might actually justifiably sue one another. We're just, we're just way better off. I mean, I teach, we teach our people to say, we're never going to get divorced. So what this is like our mantra around here. We say, Men are the head of the household, wives are subordinate to their husbands, and we're never going to get divorced. Now, I know that there are, there are times when divorce is actually the right thing to do for the sake of the life of the woman or the child or, and, and so forth. But I think to just state this in absolute terms is really helpful. And I think that we should probably do the same thing when it comes to suing. We are never going to sue our brothers 
Right. Even if we even if we can imagine the situation in which it would be justifiable for us to do so according to the law, we're just not going to do it because you know we're going to be like Hosea, who had every right to to divorce Gomer, and he just won't do it. We're just not going to get divorced. We're just not going to sue. You know, are there situations in where perhaps this would be could be sort of justified, perhaps? But the world is so messy and ugly and complicated, it's going to be hard to really tell. And we're so good at thinking that the loophole applies to us. Yeah. So anyway, the compromise thing I like, you know, come to terms with, right? You, you, you're not going to, you, you can't, you're not going to win. You're, you're going to go into this recognizing that you're losing. Yeah. So Status, how does, money, whatever. So if our Lord fulfills this, how does our Lord fulfill it? And if compromise is the way, how did he compromise? Uh, he let them kill him. I mean, he let them take everything from him. Okay. Right? This is about suffering evil. Yeah. So it's so, not compromise, so to speak, as it is enduring enduring that kind of evil. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what that's what compromise is in some sense. I don't think that's not, how most not, people hear it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to get everything that I think is right or is fair. I, when I go into, when Christians go into a negotiation over whatever it is, you know, the price of a car, mm-hmm. our, we're never trying to rip the other guy off, right? We don't go in and try to cheat somebody out right. of something and get something. So, so when I when I don't get when I don't get it for what it's actually right, when I compromise, I mean, that's a kind of suffering of evil. Okay. So I wouldn't if he if he tried to give it to me for less than it's worth and I knew it I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to take that. Yeah. So not Donald Trump. I don't, we don't we don't operate in that world. So of negotiation. Sure, but then to what extent so what do you not compromise on? What can't be comp- compromised on? And because I can see this being used then, well, you know, Jesus says basically in essence compromise. So, you know, open <laughs> communion or, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, that some, you know, midwit Lutheran pastor or layman is going to be thinking that or some other compromise. Well, you know, we have to be willing to suffer evil. And so, you know, we can't expect men and women these days not to live with one another outside of marriage before marriage. So we just accept it. We compromise. We take a hit for the team. Yeah, He's, that's not taking a hit for the team. I, that, but this is yeah. how people think, Dave, isn't that's it? That's true. Okay. I mean, this is, why, yeah. this is why I'm kind of reacting to the whole, I understand what you mean by compromise, but there's just a part of me that's like, we haven't said enough yet. Okay. Well, that, right. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to, we're not going to ourselves engage in evil, right? Okay. So- so, uh, you know, we will allow ourselves to be taken advantage of. So we'll allow ourselves to be cheated out of money that was rightfully ours or status that's rightfully ours, or even in the case of Jesus, right, bodily health that is rightly ours. Right. So we will, we will suffer these things to be done to us, mm-hmm. um, but we're not going to engage in evil. So the problem with things you're bringing up like closed communion or, or whatever, right? We're not going to do things that the Lord has forbidden. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we are going to take this absolutely seriously in terms of we want to stay in fellowship with this person. We want this person to be at peace with us so mm-hmm. that he is not, right? He's trying to take us to court. He's our brother. He's committing a sin in doing that. Yeah. And so, so, our 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 sacrifice of what does he want? Oh, he he wants my he wants my house. Well, that's going to create a lot of problems for me. But if I give him my house, then you know maybe I can relieve him of this sin. So I'll, I'll sacrifice it. Now, mm-hmm. what if, if he wants my wife? That's a that's a different problem, right? Yeah, I can't give up my wife. So I, I think it has to do with suffering. Yeah, suffering evil, mm-hmm. being wronged and the like. Of course, we would rather it didn't go this way. And, and I think most of the time it doesn't, but okay. what are you going to do? All right. So, so Jesus suffers bodily harm. He also suffers rejection of who he really is for being called all sorts of evil names. 
So, so maybe that's part of it too, where we could bring in and not responding, not responding in kind. Mm-hmm. Not responding in kind. Jesus doesn't insult them. Uh, I mean, except for I mean, all he does the say woes. some harsh things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he tells the truth, but he doesn't insult them. Yeah, he doesn't call them names. You are of your father, the devil. Yeah. Well, it's just true. It's just true. Okay. Yeah. Well, we have a hard time distinguishing between calling names and speaking the truth. Well, Jesus calls people fools. He calls the disciples themselves <laughs> fools after he right. says to call no man a fool. So it's not, it's not an exact statement. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, Do you then talk about at all in a sermon like this, the roots of this kind of anger, which are bitterness? Yeah. I mean, do you think that's think where that you, it really okay. comes to play in our day in terms of just harboring, um, desiring vengeance yourself, right. uh, as well as uh, in in an ungodly way? There is a godly vengeance, so but desiring vengeance in an ungodly way, and then also dealing with the roots of bitterness. Yes. I think we have to, again, just like Jesus does call people fools, Jesus does become angry. There is righteous anger. Mm -hmm. There are times when that's the appropriate response, when the offense against God is so great Mm -hmm. or against one of his children. Yeah. It's worse than bitterness. It's actually, I mean, I think you got to go all the way back to pride, right? This desire for vengeance is all, it's all rooted in pride that's bringing this out. And the problem here is that this is, a self-serving anger that leads to murder. Mm-hmm. And even if you haven't committed the murder all the way, there is that fantasy of it, that willingness to desire harm upon another person for whom Jesus died. Mm-hmm. And to to walk around, you know, feeding this grudge and having these awful daydreams, you know, and fantasies of how this person will be hurt. Right. Mm-hmm. And most of the time Right. I don't think that we're actually thinking that often in terms of physical harm to these people. Mostly what we want is for them to be humiliated, exposed to the world, that everyone yeah. would know how awful they are, you know, because right now they're getting away with it and it's it's building up all of this hatred in mm-hmm. us, which is really an ugly word. I I we were I've probably said this on here before. My mother was really strict with words when we were children. We couldn't say any kind of naughty sounding words at all. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we also couldn't say hate. We were not allowed to say we hated things. <laughs> so we could say because so if you if you went to the dinner table right and you had broccoli and you said I hate broccoli, that you got in big trouble for that. And the, my mom's line was, I remember this so so hilarious. She said, you know, God made that broccoli, so you can't hate it. <laughs> I oh, love. I never did such this. A pious woman. I actually loved. It. Huh? Such a pious woman. Yeah, that's great. I know. It's it's awesome. Actually, it's a great. It's a. It's hilarious to me, and now I I'm just awful with my language. It's shameful, and I say hate way too often, and it often comes back to me though. I mean, I do have this memory of her, you know, saying this and having all these rules we couldn't say. Though I, in fairness. We made fun of her. We still make fun of her for all of it. But the uh, <laughs> it was I, it was kind of like good children do. I know, I know. It's all it's a big family joke. But the uh, we, I mean, I think though in her mind, or at least I shouldn't say that in my mind as a child, I couldn't tell. I, I mean, ain't was just as bad a word as hate or you know some vulgarity. They, they, it didn't seem like there was much distinction made. It felt like, felt like we got equally in trouble for all of those things. So, Yeah. All right. So we looked at brother, we looked at the uh, something against you and the come to terms quickly. Is the accuser here the same person as the brother who has something against you, or is that the law of God and God standing behind the law? Or is, is there not a distinction there? Is the accuser uh, someone that, that that you have to be reconciled to? Where, where are you? In verse 25? Yeah. Lest your adversary deliver you to the... Is that where you have accuser? Yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, it's just the word judge there. Let me, isn't it? Let me, let me look no, again. It's an, I don't have... Antico. I have... A, antidico. 
I'm sorry. I my my Greek New Testament's in my car, so I have to look this up on a screen. And yeah, and what? Tidikos. Oh, it is. So, well, it's not Satan. Is the no, no, no. It's thing. not Satan who yeah. is accusing. But is is that the brother who's making the accusation, or is it God and His law that we must come to terms quickly with? Yeah, I think it's God and His law. Right. That I think that, I mean, because the problem is you're real, right? Whatever you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done unto me or whatever yeah. you haven't done. And so you, if you haven't been reconciled to one of the brothers of Jesus, you haven't been reconciled to him. Mm-hmm. This, is the, this is the whole point of the allegory, that this thing is going to escalate very seriously and the stakes are much higher than it seems. And yeah. you're not going to get out of prison. I mean, that is, that is actually, I mean, you're not going to get out of hell, so you've paid the last penny and it's unpayable by humans, mm-hmm. right? So the, because the wages of sin is eternal death. So the accuser and the judge are the same here? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Your adversary, that's the brother, is going to hand you over. Then he's going to, to the judge, then the judge is going to hand you over, and then you're going to be thrown into hell. I don't know who all these people are, but I mean, you're going to be handed over to God. There's going to be a judgment. You haven't been reconciled to God and the thing's going to escalate. Okay. I don't think the exact process matters. I mean, the in terms of how many, the the point is we're going to be handed over to God, who's going to send us to hell. That's the point. Yeah. Okay. And I think he's using the language of the day for the you know civil court system. Oh, okay. Was this a common thing? I don't know that. It seems like it must have been. People had some sense that this was the way it worked, right? I did. I did look at Gibbs. He didn't say a thing about that that I remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, I don't even think he names this as an allegory, though he so, treats it as one. So, should this at all be taken into in in the light of Matthew eighteen, that eventually someone is going to have to judge, and that should be the church, and is the church mm. even able to do that? <laughs> Well, that is a big problem that we don't actually judge these things in the church, right? That there is no kind of, there should be, we should have a kind of system of adjudication. Yeah. Like we did have. And there should be a way I to mean, sort at of the parish level, things. at the parish level, not just at the district and so maybe circuit level, but, you know, I mean, that then you, then you also then have to, teach about how not to judge par- with partiality. Right. And it have to right. And what actually the the law says, I mean all those things. Yeah. But it would be in an ideal world. I mean there's ways it could go wrong and obviously there's historical examples of that, but it does seem like this should be done. I mean I think it can I think it can be done in our circles still at least at a casual level, right? I mean, a husband and wife can come to the pastor and say, we have this we have this problem, and he's threatening divorce, and what do you think about that, right? And the pastor does hopefully bring some spiritual counsel and godly, with, uh, godly wisdom, and the people are able to reconcile, right? Along mm-hmm. with, of course, you know, the means of grace that enable faith and provide energy and so forth for good works. But, and I think it can happen also, you know, beyond the parish level in a kind of casual way where, you know, I'm really mad at, at whatever you, and I talk to my brothers about it in the office and, you know, they help me see things more clearly or they patch it up. They try to get us together, that sort of thing that does happen, Mm -hmm. but it, it doesn't happen in very efficiently and it doesn't always happen. Right. And there's zero penalty for it not happening. So, right. I mean, we, we live in a, because we, we don't want to face any kind of conflict. That's, that's a huge part of the, the problem. When we got rid of, when the Missouri Senate used to have an adjudication system, it was called adjudication. And <laughs> it, was, it was very much like a legal system and a proceeding. And the problem was, is that it felt mean to people. Ah. And so they replaced it with, uh, they call it reconciliation, and the reconciliation process, while, while, while sort of having the form, at least with nomenclature, of following Matthew 18, is actually designed to not make a judgment. 
because the point is, is that we're going to, we're going to, everybody's going to win. There's no losers allowed. And we're going to go through this. And one of the ways that they're very successful, um, because they have no losers and they have no losers because they often just refuse to actually deal with anything. And they make the process so onerous and difficult that it's, and it takes years to follow. It's this big bureaucratic mess. It's really, it's terrible. Yeah. It's one of the, I think it's one of the actually worst things in the structure and the organization of the Missouri Synod that we don't really have a very efficient or clear way to actually deal with real disputes and real harm that is done amongst us. This dispute resolution process is not, there's times when we just need, we need an actual adjudication. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's, you know, I I think, I I think a, a lot of our problems, believe it or not, stem from that simple reality. I mean, it's only one thing in in some ways, but it is, I think, part of the problem of just our whole culture of just not wanting to difficult, deal with difficult things, to not have to face conflict, to not have to engage in actual analytical linear thought mm-hmm. objectively and make judgments and discernments and do hard work. It's just it's just about being nice kind of at every at every step. And most of niceness is avoidance of actual issues. Yeah. So what Jesus is saying here is not avoidance. No, you're supposed to actually Do work something. this out. Yeah. Yeah. And not allow your heart to become embittered with this anger, but to actually continue to look. So there's another thing with the next verse, right? Instead of looking at a woman with adultery, you're to look at her as one of the redeemed by Christ. The way that you actually conceive of and think of your brothers and speak of them. I don't like this language of of pastors talking about their alligators and their congregations. Right. Uh, because I think it's wrong to, I mean, I get it and I understand, and I haven't suffered a lot of that. So in fairness, maybe it's not my place to say, but the, uh, you know, these are still your members that were, they're your sheep, but they're not alligators. And to put such an ugly kind of violent, nasty word on them, I think is inappropriate. So and words it matter. doesn't, and that, and it also doesn't deal with the issue. Right. You're, you're, you're demonizing them. Either you're going to treat them as a brother or you'll deal yeah. with it and make sure that they're, that it comes to the fore that they're actually not a brother. Right. So we need to try to think about how we actually treat one another, think about one another, right? That's as part of the point, too, of praying for them. Yeah. You know, so to try to actually deal with them in a way that's kind and gentle. And I mean, it's easier said than done, obviously. I'm not I'm not trying to claim this is easy, but Jesus doesn't make things easier. Our righteousness is supposed to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. In some ways, Jesus makes everything worse. Yeah, he because intensifies he raises the, the stakes. Law. Yeah, yeah, he raises the stakes on everything, and he never makes it easier. So, yeah. but it doesn't matter because he fulfilled it all. So we don't really have to follow it. <laughs> yep, it's all just a big setup so that he can tell you it doesn't matter. I do think this is a great, this is actually a great text to use the kind of law gospel outline for your sermon, though. Because, I mean, this is a place and a text that supports that, I think. Because, of mm-hmm. course, the righteousness that exceeds that of the, of the scribes and the Pharisees is that which the law cannot give, but which Jesus himself offers, mm-hmm. right? That is his righteousness, which mm-hmm. he has obtained by being better than the scribes and Pharisees. And the point of that isn't that none of that matters, but that actually we do have an escape from this horrible law that's impossible to fulfill, even as we're even if it's held out to us as that which we should be striving toward. Yeah. So do you bring up what Jesus teaches later with this text, the Lord's Prayer, and how we pray for forgiveness as we forgive those who have trespassed against us? Yeah. That I mean, it, that this is a real sign. Like, if if t- when you pray that, and we pray it often in the Lutheran Church, to think um, that we're asking God to deal with us the way that we want to deal with those around us. Exactly, that was well put. That we want Him to deal with us the way that we want to deal with those around us. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Not that we always fulfill that desire, but that is our legitimate desire. We want to be at peace in the brotherhood. Yeah. I even think the peace, I mean, that whole peace thing is interesting 
right? The peace that passes all understanding is the, is the, it even passes angelic understanding. Mm. And there is this to, to be in our hearts and in our minds. We're not just at peace with God, but we're also at peace with the, with each other. And in some sense, even with the world, which comes back to this, uh, that's what gives us the ability to suffer evil. Yeah. We have hope. We know that this is temporary. Well, you know, this guy is trying to take my livelihood. Um, well, my livelihood, what do I care about that in a sense? That's just about living. And I'm not afraid of those that can kill the body. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an extreme attitude and it, it could be abused. Much of this section can be abused, right? The next section, Origin famously abuses, where he cuts off the thing that's causing him to sin. Yeah. So I, I recognize there's a hyperbole here, but at the same time, we've got to take it seriously. And we've got to recognize that Jesus is calling us to inward spirituality or to, I mean, to inward cleanliness. Mm-hmm. And insofar as we cannot completely overcome that on this side of glory, we can control what we do in an outward manner. Yeah. He's not equating in these, he's not equating being angry or calling someone a name exactly with murder. He is saying that it is a kind of murder. It is similar to murder. It is a violation of the fifth commandment, and it needs to be taken very seriously. But he's not claiming it's exactly the same, right? It isn't. Yeah, or it's the seed to it. It's the seed to it. It's going to lead to it. And so and so it's sort of tantamount to murder. And if it isn't dealt with, right, worse things are going to happen. So, you know, it's there is this reality that we can actually deal with it so that we don't murder people. Right? Yeah. Or we can deal with lust so that we don't commit adultery in an external manner or mm-hmm. and and the like, right? Or we can make it we can suffer evil from our brother so that we save his soul and ours. And even though there's a part of us inside that's still fuming, right? We can actually in an outward way go through the motions for the sake of peace. Mm-hmm. We can do things in an outward way, and we can work on the inward way, trusting in, of course, for the righteousness that actually exceeds our own righteousness and recognizing this call to repentance and so forth. So are you, so will you give in your sermon on this, will you give, so here's what you should do. Like, yeah, here think, are actual things that you need to do. You need to do yes. X and you need to do Y. So what are, what is X and what is Y and Z? Uh, well, which, which thing are we dealing with? Anger? Or? Anger. We're dealing with anger because that's the text. Okay. So, okay. So <laughs> I think we can, first of all, we can, we can control how we speak. So instead of insulting or calling people fools and raka, which, which is another word basically for fool, the, instead of doing that, we can, we can say good things. We can actually discipline what we say out loud so that we speak well of our neighbor, according to the eighth commandment, instead of tearing him down. Mm-hmm. And by saying these things, I do this in marriage counseling all the time. So you actually need to compliment your wife instead of pointing out her problems. And in complimenting her, you will actually change the way you think about her, which will change the way you feel about her. And it will also, in her, change the way she feels and thinks about you. And I mean, I'm not that we're trying to just manipulate the situation, but we're actually trying to conform and the outward stuff actually does change the inward stuff. Does that make sense? Mm. So we can we can take up a very disciplined, conscious effort to not speak evil of people, to not call them bad names, to not slander them, but instead to do exactly what Luther says in the Eighth Commandment, to speak well of them, defend them, explain everything in the kindest way. I like that new translation. So you know, that, that's, that's like the first step, I think. We can also learn to look deeper at the causes of anger, right? Why do I feel angry with this person? Well, it's because he's a braggart. Well, what do I care, right? Mm. How does that hurt me? Uh, it, it's actually a kind of jealousy that I'm afraid his boasting is going to work. Yeah. But here's the, here's the issue, because Whenever you're in these things, both sides think that they're not slandering. They're just speaking the truth, like Jesus did. So what what is the judgment? What is the 
the means by which you can say, no, he's just speaking the truth, telling it like it is, the way our Lord and St. Paul do, versus he's gone too far. Do you think it's that noticeable? Yeah, I think it's actually very easy. Very easy. It's just that we don't want to do it. Well, it's also very easy for us to pretend like we can't tell because we we love to do that. But it's just simply this. I think I, in our age, true? it's very difficult, actually, Oh, to tell the difference. I don't. Well, maybe because we're so corrupted. But we could just say, you know, right, is it is it true? You know, is it necessary? Right. And what good comes of this? I mean, I always use the example between what does it mean to tattle? All children get yelled at for tattling, and their excuse is always, I'm just telling the truth, right? Mm. But, the, but the thing is, is that they're, what they actually do in tattling is it's a seeking of vengeance. So they want their brother to be punished because he did something unjust to them. They're playing a game, and he doesn't, he won't let, He's not sharing, right? He's not taking turns. Yeah, well, you didn't have to come tell me about that. You could have solved that by yourself. You could have maybe turned the other cheek, or you could have figured out a way to work it out, but you want me to come and punish him. You know, you're trying, vengeance is mine, says you, rather than the Lord's. And so we know what tattling is, Mm -hmm. and we know when the child actually needs to come and tell me. You know, he set the garage on fire, and, you know, it's burning, Right. So, I mean, whether it's necessary or not is all it really comes through. Or what, what is the sort of purpose of telling this? If I go home, you know, tonight and tell Jackie, you know, how dumb you were on this podcast, you know, why am I telling her this? Is it, is it because, you know, it somehow it might be true? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wh- I always, why am I telling this? Right? Yeah. I always say I'm the dumbest of my friends. But it's kind of it's kind of nice because you know I'm always learning stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I, that's all it takes, though. Seriously, I, you just have to you just have to be willing to actually examine your actual motives, which is I know it's hard in the flesh, but I don't think it should be that hard. The, you know the 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 golden rule is the great litmus test that cuts through all of our excuses. All we have to do is just imagine what we would want done to us or for us. Right, and then we and then we know it's just I mean we know instantly all this gray area just strips away because we're actually all experts in the law when it comes to our own selves. We know when we've been insulted, we know when we've been wronged, when we've been misrepresented, when we've been slandered. We have no problem discerning the difference between slander about ourselves and truth that was actually meant to help us. Yeah. So I know, but I I would not want to be called uh, a child of the father of lies, even though it could be true. (laughs) Well, that's good that you don't want to be called that. That's that's the whole point. And I mean, then you're going to say, well, who's calling me this and why is he calling me that? So I think the other side of this, and this kind of goes with the latter part of the pericope, is, you know, we do need to learn to take the insults, even the slander of our enemies very seriously and more so of our brothers, right? Mm. Why in the world would you say I'm the son of the father of lies? That's a very serious accusation. Yeah. And what you know, people don't usually, even our enemies don't usually say total nonsense about us. So this kind of willingness to sort of accept some criticism. So is this the way so instead of becoming angry, the what Jesus is teaching us here is to find the truth in what is being said. Yeah. Is he is he saying keep your cool about you and come to terms with the person who's saying you're the son of the father of lies <laughs> to see whether that's true or not. Yeah. And then maybe there's things uh even if what he said wasn't true, right? What caused him to say it? Yeah. And and what was he thinking when he said it? And even if his even if his purpose in saying it's even if it's total nonsense in the sense that there's no no truth in it, his desire was to hurt me. Why does he want to hurt me? Yeah, you know what what has happened? What here? has happened? And here? it could be when it's Jesus. Of course, obviously Jesus is completely innocent. When it's us, we're we're never completely innocent. But we can be mostly in, innocent. Mm-hmm. It is possible that he just is envious. You know, and there's there's really no cause. 
uh, within us, no wrong behavior. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if that's the case, okay. Uh, but a lot of the times it is going to be like, okay, I, I see what happened here, or I can start to see what happened here. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that we got in this fight and I did this and I said that and he didn't like it. And then how did I respond to that? You know, and on mm-hmm. and on you can go. Yeah. But again, if you think about husbands and husbands and wives are the most really kind of essential relationship on, unless it's, you know, yeah. parents and children. So, so in a sense, so much this is, is finding kind of uh, putting it in different terms, like the truth behind the exaggeration or the yeah. question behind the question. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. Okay. So he's, he's saying our Lord is giving us actual wisdom then. He's teaching us to uh, not be quick to judge and dismiss, but rather to say, maybe there's a point to the anger that I'm receiving, and you sh- we should need to figure out what that is. Right. For okay. both our sake. For both our sakes. Right, because I, if I'm guilty of things, I do need to be rebuked, and if I've wronged you, I do need to repent. And also, you are in danger because you're you're holding on to this, and you're holding on to it so much you're willing to take me to court. Mm-hmm. So you know you hate me so much that and want me to go to hell so bad that you're willing to go with me. Yeah, that's 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 not good for either of us, right? Yeah, right. Okay. No, I think that's helpful. I think that um, makes it more concrete in terms of what we're actually dealing with when you talk about compromise and all the other things that we've discussed. I think looking at it in terms of what is actually being, what are you actually being accused of and by whom and what brought that about, even if it might be an exaggeration. And what, what might I do, even if it's costly? Mm. To make it right, what might I sacrifice yeah. for this relationship and this brother? Is it money? Is it reputation? Is it life? I mean, we're, we're again, the stakes are high. Yeah. So it's not about defending yourself or about your rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing we didn't touch on with this first part, with the anger thing, is you could do some. Uh, teaching here of doctrine in terms of the fact that secret sins are mostly more dangerous than public sins to the to faith. So mm. if you actually murder somebody, like the world knows about it, and there's going to be consequences, and you're going to be called to account for it in this life in a way that's very useful for faith. Whereas if you're just angry in your heart and you're just driving around imagining imagining your enemy being humiliated before the world, you can get away with that. Mm-hmm. And getting away with it's actually dangerous to faith. Yeah. So that's, that's the other thing that's I was talking about, like bitterness. Here. Bitterness. Yeah. Eventually it does, you know, Hebrews talks about it, does come up to the surface. The root gets exposed and everyone's defiled. Right. But even if it doesn't, even if you're... And it, able to kind of keep it under wraps in an outward way, it, it will destroy faith. Bitterness mm. will totally destroy faith. So there is this, or lust, or whatever it is. Yeah. These secret sins, the, the sins we get away with, or seem to get away with, are the ones that potentially can be the deadliest. And I think that's what the old Lutherans, by old Lutherans, I mean like two generations before us, you know, the, the Lutherans in the 50s, the Missouri Synod, when they would they would talk so much about um, the fact that deliberate sins were worse than than sins of passion, and then they would talk in such a way that it made it sound as though sins all sins were equal. So you know the smallest sin will destroy your faith, and it's so bad, and it's just as bad as if you're a murderer. I think this is what they were really trying to get on about was mm. the the problem is is that the small sins you can hold on to. And that'll destroy your faith. And so it, they didn't really mean all sins are equal. Yeah. That what they meant was, you know, the sin you won't let go of, the sin that you think you got away with, you don't need forgiveness for, that's the one that'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They all have the possibility of becoming mortal. Yeah. Right. Right. But usually, again, the, the most grievous sins are going to, you're at least going to have the advantage of that you being called out for it. 
Mm-hmm. It's hard to get away with murder in the eyes of the world. Yeah. So, you know, where do we see this in our congregations or synod, where you have just a bunch of name calling, not actually listening to what someone else says, you know, making rash, harsh judgments, um, uh, perhaps even, you know, kicking people out of church uh, on the, the, the thinnest of, of uh, circumstances, and then, you know, letting things go on more public things. Do we have any examples of that? <laughs> I don't know. Can't can't think of any. <laughs> yeah, of course. This is always always the problem that we're we're so driven by. Well, there, there's all sorts of problems, but one of the one of the big problems I think is that we're so concerned about how we're viewed by the world, and yeah. so the things that we're sort of willing to deal with as a church body, as a denomination, we're willing to deal with the things that the, that the world finds wicked. Yeah. But the things that the world, like there are teachings and realities from the Bible that the world finds offensive, and we're ashamed of those. And so we try to not deal with those. Mm-hmm. And we try to, right? I mean, I think that's, that's always just a huge danger that our actions are not being driven simply by the scriptures, but very much by a concern for what the world thinks of us. Mm-hmm. I, I've been, you know, listen, the hatred of the world is not simply a possibility. <laughs> the world hates Christianity, yeah. always has. And there's no appeasing the world or being friendly with it. I think mm-hmm. we have to kind of just come to grips with this that we're too much if we're ashamed of the things the church teaches, the Bible teaches, right? About sexual deviancy, the exclusive claims of Christianity, right? All the sorts of morality stuff. I mean, that's if we're ashamed of what the Bible teaches, that's a problem. And yeah. if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven, says Jesus. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's I, yeah. I mean, and we're supposed to actually love our brothers, not the world. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sort of dismayed by how some laymen have been treated in not knowing the full situation or all of the things that have taken place, but at least from how it looks, it looks like they've been treated pretty poorly. Um and I agree. Uh, and in terms of jurisdiction, I don't know what that I can do anything about it. Um, unless, you know, they actually came to my church and then not, then I have to, cause now it's my jurisdiction. Right. Well, it's always, it's always a mess because we never know the whole story on any of this stuff. And then of course the bureaucracy always hides behind that. I mean, my whole ministry, everyone who's ever been in office has told me, trust me, we're working on it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what they always say. That's trust what everyone has always said. Trust. trust the process. Trust me. There's things you don't know. We're working on it. And, you know, decades go by and, you know, I can't see any evidence anything's been worked on sometimes. <laughs> and it's like, well, I, you know, it's, it's very frustrating. But at the same time, I mean, how, I don't know how, of course, there's things I don't know and uh, process, but maybe part of the solution would be to a more transparency because yeah. you're just calling upon us to, to trust you. I don't trust anybody that says trust me. It's just I, you shouldn't be. You shouldn't have to tell me to trust you. Yeah. So it it just feels again. But we're. I just yeah. Are we actually trying to, to work these things out and another, reconcile? Or we it trying, seem like we're not. We're just trying to. Seems like we're trying to win. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and we're trying to not, win with the world. Right. So which is losing? I know. <laughs> which is worse? I mean. <laughs> We're just trying to make the uncomfortability go away. Yeah. As though, and avoid conflict. Yeah. But I mean, that's the problem. The problem is, you know, the world sees that as, and rightly so, this is weakness. And so we can keep pushing. We think that if we give in on this, they'll leave us alone. But in point of fact, it just emboldens them. Or we think that if we are nice enough, they will recognize our niceness and see <laughs> us as good. Winsome. Which again is winsome, which is again completely ridiculous. It's not going to work. The world right. hates us. Yeah. We cannot convince them to like us. We cannot convince them. And it's frustrating because we're like, we have all this beautiful stuff. We have this joyous doctrine. We, we actually do love them. 
Yeah. And, and it's not reciprocated. And it seems like we should be able to show them that we're actually, we are nice and we do care about them and we have their best interest in mind and we're not what they think, but you can't, you're not going to win that. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts? No, I think that's good. All right. If we keep, well, if we keep going, I'll probably get angry. <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs> well, right. you know, you'll have to listen to the rest of the episode. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dave. All right. Thanks. Thanks.